Well, we've got a new Speaker of the House. Democrats also have a new minority leader in the House who decided to take the Bible out of context to support the Democratic platform. We'll finally be talking about all of that. Also, Jackie Hill Perry, author and evangelist, says that she is now against the Enneagram because it is the wisdom of demons. We've got a couple other things to talk about. A viral tweet by someone who says that he hates quote unquote cis women. Also, we'll be analyzing some outfits from the Golden Globes last night because why not? So thanks for joining this episode of Relatable. Here we go. All right, guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday, halfway through the week. We're on our temporary set. We were on our temporary set yesterday, but you might have noticed it was a little dark on the set, and now we have more light. Doesn't it look so good? Um, All right, we are going to get into some politics today. I've avoided it for the past two days because I just haven't been ready. My break over Christmas and New Year was like being in a warm bed of ignorance, not paying attention to what was going on in Washington. And now I've turned the lights on and I've gotten out of bed and I'm looking at this speaker race and I'm finally going to talk about it just a little bit. And then we'll get into all the like fun culture war uh, type things. So let's just talk a little bit about this speaker of the house. And I want to react to a video that um, I saw going around on Twitter of the minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, who is the leader of the Democrats, taking the Bible out of context in just a ridiculous and I think very blasphemous and evil fashion. But first, let me just summarize exactly what happened with Kevin McCarthy. You can get a lot more in-depth analysis from other commentators who were following this closely. Really, if you just search for this on Twitter, you can see a lot of explanations for what was happening and why. But basically, Kevin McCarthy, he's a representative, Republican from California, and he was the nominee, the person up for the job of Speaker of the House because Republicans are in the majority in the House. So when you're in the majority in the House, you get to decide who the Speaker of the House, who the leader of the House is. And so this is, let me just explain to you the process a little bit. According to Voice of America, it's a state-owned news network, international radio broadcaster of the U.S., funded by the U.S. government. So obviously you will always take that with a grain of salt. But this is just an explanation of the process. So in the weeks after an election, the Republican conference and the Democratic caucus hold an informal vote among their members to decide who they want to nominate to lead their party in January. Representative Kevin McCarthy won the majority of the Republican vote in a closed door November meeting. Weeks later, Democrats unanimously chose Representative Hakeem Hakeem Jeffries to become their leader as the party transitions into the minority. Democrats were in the majority slightly in the House. Then after November elections, now Republicans are in the majority in the House. Once the House is in a quorum, meaning the minimum number of members are present to proceed, the speaker nominee from each party will be read aloud 
by the respective leaders before a roll call vote to elect a new speaker. The clerk then appoints lawmakers from each party as tellers to tally the votes. The candidate to become speaker needs a majority of the votes from House members who are present and voting. Historically, the magical number has been 218 out of the 435 members of the House, but many previous speakers, including outgoing Speaker Nancy Pelosi, have ascended to have ascended to the position with fewer votes than that. As some members voted present instead of calling out a name, every lawmaker voting present uh, lowers the overall tally needed to reach a majority. So when it came to Kevin McCarthy, usually this is kind of a cut and dry process. It happens pretty quickly. But with Kevin McCarthy, this went through 15 rounds of votes to get him to that 218. For 14 rounds of votes, McCarthy did not receive the backing of um of enough colleagues he received the backing of 203 and yet there was a minority of republicans who were saying i don't want to vote for kevin mccarthy because they said i don't think he's going to be conservative enough and look we've got some demands before he can win our vote a lot of people said this was obstructionist and uh, they were just getting in the way and i think they were even referred to in like very pejorative terms like they were terrorizing the house of representatives by not simply supporting kevin mccarthy McCarthy. Interestingly, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of the loudest backers of Kevin McCarthy, which typically she is kind of seen as an oppositional minority in the House trying to kind of pull it in a more uh, I guess you would say conservative direction, but she was a big backer of Kevin McCarthy. But people like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and others were saying, you know what, I'm not going to vote for him. And people like Chip Roy, I have a lot of respect for Representative Chip Roy from Texas. He had some demands before he would vote for McCarthy. Ultimately, McCarthy did get enough votes to become Speaker of the House. Um, the opposing members who said we're not going to vote for him unless some things are agreed to by him. They wanted to see less government spending, they said, more power to them, less power for the speaker. Um, there was also just some like mistrust and personality differences, says NPR. There were some major concessions made by McCarthy to get the votes needed for him to become Speaker of the House. Here are some of those. A promise for votes on a balanced budget amendment, term limits, and a Texas border plan. A new committee to investigate the government using the FBI against political rivals. You've probably heard of like a church committee that has nothing to do with church, the religious institution. It has to do with the kind of committee going back several decades, looking into what the FBI um, is actually doing. How are uh, they really doing their jobs or is the corruption just as deep as we think it is? Um, more single subject bills. So rather than these omnibus bills that these uh, Congress people don't have time to read and the American people certainly don't have time or the ability to read, there should be more single subject subject bills. I think that's a great idea. A 72-hour window for representatives to read bills before voting. Another great idea. A promise to refuse any increase in the debt ceiling in the next federal budget. Another concession was a bill to abolish the IRS and eliminate income tax. So, I mean, obviously this does not mean that all of these bills will ultimately become law because we don't have the majority in the Senate. Obviously, we don't have a Republican in the White House. But look, these Republicans in 
Congress are simply trying to put forth good legislation or a promise that they will be able to put forth good legislation. I think it tells you something. Republicans versus Democrats, who looks for more transparency and less power to bureaucracy? It's always Republicans. I mean, how is it even a partisan issue, single issue bills? You only want those omnibus bills if you're trying to get things through that you know are going to be unpopular. They might be good for you, but they're probably not good for your constituents. Everyone benefits. Well, the American people benefit anyway from single issue bills and the 72 hour window for representatives to read the bills before voting. So I know a lot of people had a problem with this so-called obstruction. But if these were the concessions that were made by Kevin McCarthy to try to break down that obstruction, then I would say that that was a really good strategy. So there has been a positive development this week after all of that happened. This is according to the New York Post. And one of the new Republican House majority's first legislative moves on Monday, the body passed a bill rescinding $72 billion in spending on 87,000 new IRS agents. House Resolution 23, or the Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act, passed the lower chamber in a uh, 221-210 vote along party lines. So we'll see what comes of that. Obviously, we don't really have the numbers right now. We don't have a majority in the Senate. And like I said, we don't have the White House in order to pass all the laws that we want to or pass all the bills that we want to so that they become law. However, it's good to see this kind of movement in the House under Kevin McCarthy's leadership. Let's hope that they keep on moving the window over by pushing the kind of legislation that actually represents the interests and the security of the American people. What'll be interesting is how this House under Kevin McCarthy's leadership handles issues like Ukraine. He has been traditionally a pretty big supporter of supporting Ukraine financially. Now, I just saw a clip this morning that Ukraine is apparently training their forces in Oklahoma. So we are spending lots and lots and lots and lots of resources on this country who most that most people can't even point to on a map and a lot of people hadn't even heard of before last year, while our own country is really struggling, certainly in the cities that are run by Democrats, certainly at our own border. It's interesting, again, that so many of our leaders are more interested in the sovereignty and the security of a foreign country than they are of our own country. And some people might say, well, you can do both. Sure, you can, but we're not. That's that's the point. We're not. There is clearly a priority there. So we'll see. I hope that Kevin McCarthy's leadership is good. I hope it's very conservative. And um, I hope we can move forward uh, in a way that actually benefits the American people. All right. I, I want to stay on this for a second. I want to play this little clip of the minority leader of the Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, using the Bible to justify what Democrats stand for. But let me pause and tell you about our first sponsor for the day. It's one of my all-time favorite sponsors, and that is Adele Natural Cosmetics. It's a family-run, holistic, handcrafted, and toxin-free cosmetic company where all of their products are made in the U.S. And not only that, they are awesome people. They're Christians. They're pro-life. They share the same values that you and I do. I've met them. I've met Arlene, who started Adele all the way back in 1999 because of her own health journey. And they are just They're just salt of the earth people. And I really love their products. I wear their products every day. I love their foundation. I love their highlighter. I love their lipstick, all of which 
by the way, I am wearing right now and I use all of um, their uh, skincare, their uh, cleanser, their moisturizer, their daily serum, literally all of it because I love it. It's luxurious and it makes my skin look and feel great. So go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Enter promo code Ally for 20 25% off your first order. So your first order, you get 25% off with promo code Ally at AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com, promo code Ally. Okay, so let me play um, this clip, this short clip from a speech by Hakeem Jeffries, again, Democratic representative, very far left Democratic representative, by the way, who is now the House Minority Leader. Here's what he's got to say about the mission of the Democratic Party. Now, the scripture says in Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Over the last two years, House Democrats, in partnership with President Biden and our colleagues in the Senate, have been hard at work on behalf of the American people, getting big things done. President Biden gets the job done, and the D in Democrat stands for deliver. Now, this is very common. This is something that you see from Democrats a lot. This is something that you see from those who identify as progressive Christians or Democrat Christians a lot, using the Bible for their political means, even as they are turning to the right, pointing their finger and saying that we are Christian nationalists because we have or are striving for a biblical worldview that informs our politics and our views on culture. Yet when they decontextualize Bible verses to support things like um, genital mutilation for children who think that they're the opposite sex or the dismemberment of babies inside the womb, apparently um, that's wholesome and that's well and good. And that's a proper exegesis of scripture. So he is using um, Galatians 6 there, as Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia and admonishing them to stay true to the true gospel. And let me just give you a little context because I do think it's interesting. So he quotes Galatians 6, 9, but let me read you the verses surrounding that. So this is starting in Galatians 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Pay close attention now, y'all. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he's not primarily talking about politics here. He's not talking about lawmakers. I'm not saying that we can't apply Bible verses to um, politics or to um, these culture wars, of course, I do that often where it is appropriate to do, but he is certainly not talking about what the Democratic Party stands for. And that's not me to say that the Republican Party is the godly party. 
and that Republicans are all sincere Christians. That's that's not what I'm trying to say. But simply looking at the platform of the Democratic Party, what it stands for when it comes to sex, sexuality, the family, gender, abortion, those things alone, which, as I've said many times, are Genesis one issues. They go all the way back to the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. The Democratic Party officially and systematically perverts the natural order and breeds chaos and disorder everywhere they lead. I mean, look at every single city that is run by Democrats. You see chaos, you see disorder, you see misery, you see dirtiness, and you see people suffering from the corruption and the bad and the misguided policies of progressivism. I don't know how that qualifies in any sense, certainly not in any biblical sense, as good. He says the Democrats are going to continue doing good. Good for whom? Good for the family. Good for babies inside the womb. Good for people living in border towns. Good for people who become victims of the criminals who are continually let out of jail because of progressive criminal justice policies in these cities that are run by Democrats. Good for whom? Certainly not good according to the God who created the very order that Democrats are constantly at war against. And so, I mean, I would love to have Representative Jeffries on this podcast and we can talk about that specifically. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that we would be able to find kind of any form of commonality or agreement because it seems like we are starting from a totally opposing premise of who God is and who is in charge and what human beings are and why we matter and what this uh, what the role of the state is versus the role of the church and the role of the family the differences between the parties really are not just policy they come down to very fundamental ideas again of who made us who is in charge what humans are and why we are here. And that is why we are continually polarized, not because our arguments or our differences become more complex, but actually because they have become so fundamental. And I thought his speech was a really good example of that. It comes down to our definitions of what good is. He says Democrats are going to continue doing good. I haven't seen that good. All right, before we get into our next story about this tweet that was going viral and my reaction to it, I just wanted to take a little lighthearted break and look at some of the um, attire that was worn at the Golden Globes last night. Now, if you're like me, you don't really care about the celebrity world or anything that they say and do, but come on, it's like a little fun. I kind of like seeing what they have to wear. So we're just going to look at some outfits. I don't know if these are, I haven't seen them, if they're outlandish outfits or if they're cool if I'm supposed to rate them, I might just give my commentary on them. Brie picked it out or picked these outfits out. So we're just going to take a look at them. So you should probably watch this on YouTube so you can give your commentary too and let me know if you like them or not. All right, let's put up the first one. Um, okay, I need some I, I need some color, Brie. Who is this? Is it Claire Danes. Yes. Um, she's an actress. Yes. From Romeo plus Juliet yes. with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yes. Um, and she was also in Homeland. And uh, she, I think she presented award an award. 
Um, okay, so why do we have this one? What do you think about it? I think it's atrocious. You think it's atrocious? I do. Tell me. Yeah, Dylan says it kind of looks like toilet paper. Mm. It just that bow. Where is that coming from? Mm. It. I don't know. It kind of just looks like whipped cream on a dress. And, it kind oh, of looks just, like whipped cream. <laughs> um, she's very. She's like very beautiful, and I v- yeah. think very classy. I think the shape, like an empire waist, is hard to do. Also, mm. if you're not pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Empire waist is hard. So I, I agree. I don't know. I don't know if I would say atrocious. Brie is a really <laughs> <laughs> harsh fashion judge. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have picked this because she's like very beautiful. And also the color is that would be like a hard color for me because I'm blonde and I'm pale mm, yeah. right now. And she's kind of fair, too. So, OK, on the scale of pretty, we'll say pretty is a 10, atrocious is a 1, Bree says is a 1. No, I think it's a f- I think it's a 3. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say 3 or 4 too. All right. Next one. Mm, okay, I think are these all ones that you did not like, Bree? No, no, they're not. Okay, so what do you think about this? Uh, but I don't like this one. <laughs> I don't like this one either. It's a lot. It's a lot. Are you a ruffle person? I'm not a ruffle person. When they're, I'm a, if they're tasteful, but mm. this is just, this is just a lot. Yeah. Up top. I think mostly up top. Yeah. Yeah. This well, is you Michelle Williams, by the way, see her body at all. So Michelle Williams, also an actress. She's the one who like bragged about her abortions. Not that long yeah, ago. She said, I wouldn't have won this award had I not killed my child. So, so awful. So yeah. she just kind of has bad discernment all around. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And I do wonder what is with these like blonde, fair skinned women wearing beige? I don't know. I guess I've done it. <laughs> um, I can't see her shoes, but they look maybe like they're cute. Maybe it redeems it. Maybe. Um, okay, I would rate this a two. I think this is worse than Claire Danes. Yeah, agreed too. Okay. Um, does Dylan have any insight? No. <laughs> no Nothing thought. nice to say. <laughs> okay. Um, number three. <sighs> you don't like this one either do you Brie? <laughs> it's just very costume it's like yeah. she's on just, i don't know it's like she's a i feel like you should wear a long dress for these kind of awards i mean she's obviously beautiful she has great legs yeah tidy klum she's great yeah um yeah no don't like it at all i'm not really a feather person but i guess kind of like ruffles that can be done well but i don't like this at all yeah, this is a one for me. A one. Okay, I'll go. Sure. Solidarity. I'll go with one. <laughs> All right, next one. Uh, you don't like this one either. Well, do okay, you? so this just confused me a little bit. This is Emma Darcy, who is, I don't in know who House, that is She's in House of the Dragon. I don't think that's the correct pronoun for her, but. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> and, well, yeah. Um, and I just didn't really know what was going on here. So Does I. Does this person it. always dress like this? I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Kayla says yes. I mean, not in like black tuxedos, but yeah, they, yeah. they dress very ambiguous. Yeah, ambiguous. Okay, androgynous. If people are just listening to this, it's it's uh, it's like a suit. I think it's a skirt, but it's also like a very oversized coat, and it looks like a purple latex glove and <laughs> a bow tie. But sparkly shoes. I like the shoes. Sparkly shoes. I mean, this is a one or a zero for me. Does nothing. 
I don't. I feel like this isn't even on the scale. It's not even on the scale. Yeah, probably <laughs> just trying to make a statement. Looks scary. Looks like a villain in an 1850s movie. <laughs> it does. Just okay. saying. Couple. We have a couple more. Okay. I'm waiting for the one you like, Brie. This is Julia Garner. She's in Ozark. Yes. Yes. I've seen her. Um, you like this one? I do. You do. Do you not? No, I don't. <laughs> one, I don't think it's a good color on her. Mm. Um, I would also dye her hair probably maybe brown. But uh I think it's a good like shape on her. Like she looks very pretty, but no. I and I don't <laughs> I don't like these ruffles at all. Wow. I love it. I think it re- is really flattering. It's so cute. I would, it give, is I would give it an eight. Wow. Brie. <laughs> wow. No, I'm going to go. I honestly maybe prefer a Claire Danes's to this. <laughs> I would say two or three probably. Wow. So do you think, Brie, that or Kayla or Dylan, when celebrities are picking out these outfits that they are doing it, that they pick out outfits that they really like? Or do they do you think that they pick out ones that are just like interesting or quirky or make a statement? I think they're picked for them. Yeah, it probably depends on the on the celebrity. But I think a lot of times they're like matched with a designer and the designer just puts them in whatever. I'm sure they have a say, but yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of times they just kind of wear whatever they're given. Mm. I think I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Okay, uh, do we have one more? Yeah. Okay. No, I think we have two more. This is Letitia Wright. She's in oh my Black gosh, Panther. She's so beautiful. She's gorgeous. She is so beautiful. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, she like could wear, I would say that she could wear like anything and that she would look gorgeous, but this just doesn't look like it fits her. It looks too big. Yeah, it's kind of potato sacky. Dylan potato. says she looks like a beer glass. I think she looks like an enchilada. Or an enchilada. An enchilada, it does. So people who can't see it, it's like an orange. I, I'm sure it's like an orange design, but it does look like an orange picture. It kind of looks like those like funny shirts that people wear with like a, someone else's like beer belly painted on it. <laughs> That's what it looks like. I mean, she's so pretty. She could have worn so many things that would look so pretty on her. Yeah, um, yeah I just didn't think it was. I don't think it's, it fits very well. Although I do like the shoes, I can tell. Um, so yeah, this is like a, this is like a one for me. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Letitia. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We got Margot Robbie for number seven, who I yep. think is beautiful always. Yeah. She's so beautiful. This is okay. I don't know. Maybe I think, five. I think this was on theme with her movie Babylon, which I haven't seen, but mm. she plays like a flapper girl, I guess. Oh, um, Okay. So that might be what this is, but the fringe at the bottom just is a little too much. Too much for, for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the shape of it is pretty. It's like kind of like modest, which I'm sure she's not necessarily trying to do. Um, yeah, I, I think I would also prefer it to not have that fringe all the way to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, but I would still go to a four or five. I also think she's so pretty. Have we seen the Barbie movie? Has it come out? It hasn't come out yet, but I'm excited. That's actually one of my favorite directors who's doing it. So I'm excited. Oh, really? Yeah. And Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's all we got on that. Just wanted to see what some people were wearing. Apparently, there was like a Zelensky speech 
interesting addition to an American award show. Um, but thanks, Brie, for your contributions and rating all the outfits. All right. Um, speaking of fashion, one of the places that I like to get my jewelry and actually my bag, I have, I have it right here. I'm going to put my bag on camera so you can see it. Wow. It's really heavy. So this is from Range Leather, one of my favorite sponsors, and they make the most amazing leather goods right here in America. They live in Wyoming and all of their stuff is handcrafted there. I love their earrings. They've got wallets. They've got belts. They've got all kinds of stuff. Family-owned business. They've got the same values that you and I do. They were fans of Relatable, and that's why they decided to advertise with us. And I truly love their products. I mean, we're talking high-quality leather stuff that will last you your whole life. Great gift as well. So I would go to rangeleather.com. And use my code Allie so you can receive 15% off your first order. So Range Leather, R-A-N-G-E, leather.com. Use code Allie at checkout for 15% off your first order. Rangeleather.com, code Allie. Okay, so I wanted to talk about this um, Jackie Ho Perry video that she posted on her Instagram stories. Now, sadly, I did not get to see this Instagram story myself because Jackie Ho Perry blocked me for reasons that I'm not really sure about. She blocked me a while ago. Um, we do have some disagreements, and um, I'm pretty sure that she she blocked me before I ever even talked about any of these disagreements um, publicly. But I do disagree with her when it comes to many of the statements that she has made on social and so-called racial justice. And I've talked about those disagreements on this podcast. You can go back and listen to a couple of those episodes or just you can probably deduce based on the things that I have said and based on the things that she has said. But I continue to respect her bringing of the gospel. And I hope and pray that God continues to increase her ministry and that people come to know Christ um, through her because of the Holy Spirit. So I really don't feel any kind of like personal resentment, animus at all towards her. I don't know if she would say the same since she blocked me on social media, but um, I, uh, I, you know, I hope the best for her. And even though we do have some serious disagreements, I am thankful that she is publicly talking about something that I have talked about for a few years and not just me, but many Christians have been talking about for several years. And that is the potential pitfalls of the Enneagram. She posted on her Instagram story. She says, um, I'm going to say this and... Um, I, uh, she said that I was really skeptical and have been for some years when people were saying that the Enneagram was demonic. Cause I do feel like sometimes people can be way too deep, but the Lord prompted me to study that thing for a good two days. Evil. It ain't even funny. Legitimately doctrines of demons, divination, witchcraft. I had no idea. No idea. Okay. So one of the dudes who is the originator of the contemporary understanding of the Enneagram, as we know it, he said that he got his information about it from an angelic visitation from a spirit or divine being named Metatron, which we know is a demon. 
And then the other guy who created the types, he said on YouTube that he got his understanding of the wisdom of types through automatic writing, which is a form of channeling spirits, where a demon basically guides your hand or guides your mind to help you write down certain ideas. So when we say, oh, I'm type one, type two, type three, whatever, we are literally applying to our identity the quote unquote wisdom of demons. It's literally that deep. And I was telling my husband part of this, I've talked about Enneagram on several occasions. And so part of me feels a responsibility to renounce it publicly and to bring attention to the demonic nature of it. So I am very glad that she is talking about this. I wrote about this um, in my book. And this really does go all the way back to the 19th century when there was very much a boom of psychology, uh, psychiatry, and new age beliefs and Eastern mysticism that eventually moved its way to the West and has really stayed here and grown here, has paired itself with capitalism and self-help and the prosperity gospel and has really just kind of grabbed hold of the U.S. and I would say especially women in a lot of ways. And the any Enneagram is a part of that. The Enneagram, like she said, was created by someone who claims that he got the vision of the Enneagram from a demon. And the people who propagate it to this day, like Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan friar, who is not a Christian in any real sense of the word, he does not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Like, he has talked about the kind of contemplative um uh attributes of the enneagram and how there is kind of a spiritual side of it that really has nothing to do with Christian spirituality, but is really more mystic and Gnostic and new age spirituality. Now, I know a lot of people will rebuff me. I've been talking about this for a long time. I was not the first person to talk about it, so I don't want it to seem like I'm claiming that I was the first person to criticize the Enneagram. I wasn't the first person to. It has been several years, but there were people who for several years before me had been talking about it and had received a lot of criticism for it. And I still get a lot of pushback from people saying, well, it's helped me. It's helped my marriage. It helped me in my job. It helped me under understand myself. And you're taking it too seriously. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry even said, like, I think people go too deep with stuff, which I agree. I do think some people take some things too seriously and they see something they see it like something spiritual and things that are not necessarily evil or dark or something like that. Um, however, when it comes to this and you really are talking about an inspiration from a demonic vision, I do think that that should give Christians pause to say, well, like maybe this isn't the wisdom that I'm really looking for, or maybe this isn't the place that I should go to who discover who I am and how I tick. I am not discounting the possibility that the Enneagram has helped you in some way, but I am saying that it is not going to be the solution to your problems that you are looking for, just like any other personality test. Now, personality tests are not all demonic. They don't all have the same kind of new age origin, but they do all have kind of the same temptation, I would say. The temptation to focus too much on ourselves too much on our quirks, too much on our characteristics to try to say the things that are really sin, 
and are really unholy and are really bad parts of ourselves or just kind of quirky and unique parts of our personality that people just need to kind of understand and adapt to, I think it can make us focus less on being sanctified to become like Christ and to embody the fruit of the Spirit and more to become the best version of a one with a two wing or whatever our Enneagram is or otter or INFG, whatever it is. Um, So I think that they can, some of these, without the demonic origin of them, although they do all kind of have this like psychiatry, pseudo spiritual innocence background. um, I, I think that they can possibly be a tool to kind of help you understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and how God made you, but they cannot be relied on for self-understanding. They cannot be relied on for you to understand your spouse. They cannot be relied on to understand your friends because all of us, whether you're a one or a nine or an otter or a beaver, we are all called to be like Christ. We are all called to embody love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control and you are not more called to those things if you are a naturally loyal and gentle person you are not less called to those things if you're a naturally boisterous person yes God has given us all unique capabilities and unique characteristics that's part of being the body of Christ Um, that's part of being one member of the body of Christ. I might be a hand of the body of Christ. You might be a foot of the body of Christ. Like we read about this in scripture, how all members rely on each other. We all need one another and we all have our specific capabilities and gifts that God has given us. Ephesians talks about this as well, that God has given us all our specific spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. It is not for the purpose simply of self-fulfillment and self-understanding and liberating your true self because you finally understand your Enneagram type. So that's why I think personality tests in general, no matter what their origin is, while some of them can be useful tools, I think they can also become a distraction from focusing on Christ. We do not have a problem as a society with self-love and self-focus. I know that we hear constantly that we do. We hear constantly that if everyone just loved themselves more, if everyone just understood themselves more, if everyone just thought about themselves more and pursued what they want more and focused more on their own happiness and prioritized their well-being first, then the world would be peaceful. Everyone would have what they want. Their relationships would be great. But that's not true. We do not have a deficit of self-love, self-affection, self-affirmation, self-understanding, self-seeking in this country. In fact, we have too much of those things. Our problem is not that we lack self-love. It's not that we don't like ourselves enough. It's actually that we focus on ourselves way too much, way too much. You know what kind of Disney princess you are. You know what color matches your personality. Like, I mean, all of our algorithms and all of our social media apps are perfectly tailored to not every, not only every interest you have, but every interest you possibly could have based on what you are thinking and what you looked at for a second too long on TikTok, on Instagram. Everything is oriented around the self. I'm just not sure that Christians need to be adding one more thing to help us think about ourselves and focus on ourselves more. Like what if really the exercise we need to be doing to help us cultivate joy is to focus outside of ourselves, to understand who God is and why he made us, why we're here, 
who we are as human beings. Like, what if we should be looking outside of ourselves for the love and the joy and the fulfillment that we're seeking? What if it's actually a lot more simple than personality tests and the Enneagram tell us that it is? What if it's not so complicated as studying something like that with nine types? Like, what if we already have the roadmap in Christ? Like, what if we already have everything we need to understand human nature, to understand ourselves and to understand other people in God in scripture? Again, there are good supplementary books, obviously, and good supplementary tools to all of those things. But are they necessary to knowing ourselves, if that's even a worthy goal? Is it necessary to living a life of fulfillment and joy and working well with other people? I don't think so. And isn't that good news? Like that we don't have to figure out the next personality test or understand our type perfectly or anything like that in order to really live well. Maybe some of them can help, but it's not necessary and sometimes can even be a distraction um, to actually living a fulfilling life in who we are in Christ because we already know, we already know that we are new creations in Christ if indeed by grace through faith we believe in him. And so we already know what our identity is and isn't that good news. So maybe let's take a deep breath and stop focusing so much on ourselves because I actually think that that self-obsession is making us more miserable rather than less. All right, just a couple more things to talk about. Let me... Yeah, let me go ahead and tell you about our last sponsor of the day, and that is Bambi. So if you are a small business owner and you've got HR issues, because every business owner does, but you don't have the time and you don't have the resources to take care of them, you're just kind of letting them go by the wayside. Let me tell you, that's not a good strategy. Those HR issues are going to eventually kill your business. So you need someone to handle HR, but you don't have 75,000 extra dollars lying around to pay for a full-time HR manager. And that is why you need Bambi. Bambi, you get a dedicated virtual HR manager for just $99 a month. $99 a month. You get a dedicated virtual HR manager that you can talk to at any time who's available to you for compliance, for onboarding, for terminations, all those things that you didn't really sign up for when you became a business owner that you don't really want to spend time doing. That is why Bambi exists. Great service. It can really, really help your business and help you focus on the things that you really want to focus on. So go to Bambi.com. Use promo code RELATABLE. It'll help the show. Go to B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in RELATABLE under podcast when you sign up. Bambi.com. Type in RELATABLE under podcast when you sign up. Okay, I said that was our last sponsor. It's not our last sponsor. We've got one more sponsor in a in a little bit. Okay, let me talk about let me talk about this next story. So there was this viral tweet that was going on. It was originally tweeted, I saw by let's see, is this the name of it? I thought it was yeah, it's Raw Egg Nationalist who originally tweeted this. And he said, um, say what you want about Reddit, but it's an amazing tool for peering into people's souls. And here's what he means. He means by that. Um, 
so this is a, a post on Reddit and I see a lot of these posts because I follow a lot of these accounts that repost these kinds of things from Reddit onto Twitter. And it really is an interesting look into especially the men who want to identify as women into their psychology. And it's actually like it's very sad. So this person says, holy expletive, I hate cis women. So cis women, if you don't know, that means cis gender. So that means women who are actually women who were born women, you know, have the right chromosomes, all of that. There's no such thing, of course, as a cis woman, because there's no such thing as a trans woman. You are either male or female. That is determined at the point of conception based on your chromosomes. Don't talk to me about intersex. That is an anomaly and a disorder that does not rewrite the rule of sex and gender. It has nothing to do with transgender, actually. So this person says, I'm at a restaurant right now, uh, supposed to be a date, but of expletive course the cis woman i was speaking to women i think it means woman i was speaking to flaked on me once she learned i was trans which happened expletive whatever but what's driving me expletive bonkers is the table next to me three girls all early 20s slim bubbly sundresses talking about nails and boyfriends and sex all just basking in the femininity that i've spent my life and my savings just trying to get a taste of it's just salt on the wound after being stood up by one of their kind i expletive hate them so much and they don't even know it it's not fair they'll never ever know the struggle women like us have to go through just to feel like that so now i'm stuck here listening to them laughing and chatting about their perfect lives and throwing back bombay gin until i can drive home good and trashed wow a lot of bad decisions a lot of bad decisions um, in this post I really hope that that person doesn't drive drunk and hurt himself or the other people around him but this is really common I see these in a lot of I see this kind of thing in a lot of posts where you've got these men who say that they want to be women who are really they say they're really jealous and really resentful of actual women and they're like oh I'll never truly be like that so Part of that is clear thinking that they understand that they will never fully be perceived as women, which is true. Um, and that that's just not going to happen because that's simply not how they were born. But the delusional part is that they think it's everyone else's fault, that everyone should just perceive them as girls, as women, because that is simply what they want to be. But human nature is like a beach ball. It's going to keep popping back up. Uh, no matter how many times you try to push it under the water, you can use all of your force and it's still going to come back up to the surface. And that is the reality of male and female. It's just, it, it just cannot be ever fully or fundamentally diminished. And that is what seems to torture these people. However, I do think that this jealousy and this hatred of women actually probably predates these people thinking that they are transgender, thinking that they are the opposite sex. I would say that's probably actually what inspires some of it, that it probably actually came from a place of resentment and bitterness and hatred and jealousy first. And then maybe it was something like, if you can't beat them, join them. I think a lot of these guys probably dealt with confusion. Some of them abuse, some of them um, rejection. And that kind of hurt probably led to this attempt to don a new identity to become a woman. But I think a lot of the hatred for women that you see um, and a lot of the confusion also that you see here is an addiction to porn. 
like as we've talked about several times with Genevieve Gluck, that this phenomenon of men, of boys trying to become women, a lot of it is inspired by dark, dark crevices of the pornography world. And pornography also breeds the hatred and the objectification of women. Um, demeaning and degrading attitudes towards women. That is what a lot of porn is. And so that's where I think a lot of this comes from. I think a lot of these young men, they hate women for a variety of reasons, one of them being the depictions in pornography. And that also is what kind of pushes them to try to take on these new identities because that is also depicted in dark crevices of pornography. So, I mean, there is a reason why uh, women say it's really important to stand up for our privacy and for our rights and for our protection and why it is important to have sex exclusive spaces. And unfortunately, it's not going that direction in a lot of ways. But when you, this is, again, a very common attitude and a very common post, I'm not saying all men who identify as women feel like this, but this is very common. And like that should scare people. That should wake people up to say, okay, this is not just some innocent movement of people trying to be included. This is a lot of these people hate women. They hate women. They resent them. They're bitter towards them. And the result of that, of mixing that kind of person with women in private and vulnerable spaces, I don't think it's good. That's why you have the stories that you do of men in women's prisons who identify as women um, uh, inflicting violence on them. This is not a safe movement for women and for girls. I think that we know that that's a that's a major understatement. All right, let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is Eden Pure. So Eden Pure is an air purifier that you can put in your home. You can plug it right into your wall. It takes no space, and it barely makes any sound at all. Uh, it naturally sends out O3 molecules into the air, which seek out odors and air pollutants in your home and destroys them. It doesn't just mask or cover up bad odors and pollutants. Uh, pollutants, it eliminates them. And right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack for a whole home protection. You'll get three units for under $200. It's a fraction of the cost compared to other air purifiers that can go for more than $600. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Put in discount code ALLY3, ALLY3 to save uh, $200. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code ALLY3. All right. That's all we've got for today. There were a few more things that we wanted to talk about, but we're already almost at an hour and so we're out of time. We've got a lot of good stuff that we're going to talk about tomorrow too. So lots to look forward to. All right. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends. That would mean so much to me. Leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. Subscribe on YouTube. That really um, that really helps us out. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you my the voicemail number for Relatable. We'll take some voicemails and maybe we'll read them. Um, we'll, we'll read them in a maybe tomorrow or maybe next week as a segment. I don't even know what I'm going to ask you to say, though. 682-503-1369. 682-503-1369. Do you got a question for me? A relationship question? A life question? Make it short. Make it snappy. Make it concise. Or maybe you just have an interesting comment. We can only get through a few. And so we'll have to wade through the voicemails that you guys send and uh, pick the ones that we want to listen to on air. But we will do that sometime next week. 682-503-1369. Leave us a voicemail. Ask a question, make a comment. All right. That's all we have time for today. We will be back here tomorrow.